Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. It's the end of the year. You probably knew it was the end of the year, but but it is the end of the year. We have a regular cultural roundtable called The News, and what we like to do at the end of the year is to get some people together and to see if we can maybe, I don't know, tease out some themes uh, that run through the year, things that happen this year which might portend other things that could happen in the future. I have actually no idea why we do this show, but it's something along along those lines, and we will be discussing the year in mostly in movies and television. Music will come up a little bit in certain ways with four different nose panelists. And we'll also talk about certain things that were either underappreciated or overappreciated. I'm sure you listening at home could jot down your own candidates in each of those categories. So, yes, it's the end of the year as we know it. And here's the nose also as we know it. Welcome to our end of the year nose. It's never entirely clear to me what I or producer Jonathan McPants expect to accomplish in this end of the year nose. But, you know, life needs punctuation, right? You've got to put little <laughs> marks on the ends of things. And that's what we're going to do today. We'll just talk about whatever we thought was kind of interesting this year with uh, our usual enlightened and entertaining panel. In the first segment, I'll be talking to David Edelstein, America's greatest living film critic. Later on, you'll hear from Bill Usman, Rich Holland, and Rebecca Castellani. Uh, but yes, here we go. We're going to begin uh, with David Edelstein. Welcome back to our show. Thank you very much. I, I don't know if I'm going to put a, a period on the end of this, but perhaps uh, an Oxford comma. <laughs> there you go. Um, and so let's, um, well, I think it is good to begin with specifics. And you are suggesting that we begin uh, with a movie released directly to Netflix uh, called Leave the World Behind. Uh, came up kind of at the end of the year here. Stars uh, Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke, Mahershala Ali, and Mahala Harold. Well, the premise is that something is very, very apocalyptic. Something is happening that seems like the end of everything. And a bunch of people who are kind of marooned in this rather elaborate and beautiful house somewhere, I think in the Hamptons, are the, there are sort of white renters and black owners, and they're trying to work out all their stuff. Where's your wife? I'm curious if you're worried about her in the city. Well, she's on a work trip to Morocco. She's an art dealer, so she travels a lot. Her flight is due back here in the morning, actually. Uh-huh. Can I see your ID? Uh, Amanda. It's a fair ask. You're a stranger showing up in the middle of the night. My kids are upstairs. Of course. I understand. So, David Edelstein, say why this is a good place to start our conversation. Well, I've never, I don't know that I've seen a genre movie that has spoken as directly to the present moment as leave the world behind it's in this awful terrifying no good year uh with uh, environmental catastrophe uh threats to our country from all places armed mass shootings anti-semitism russia the possible world war three in the middle east i i our unnerving dependence on satellites and the internet, the glut of misinformation, some of it directly traced from foreign governments, attempts to sow violent dissent among us, the latent racism, the dangers of Tesla, auto drive, 
animals are trying to warn us or, or, or kill us. It's not clear, I guess, both. But the point is nature is in an upheaval. The idea that our life is unsustainable, widening economic and cultural and racial gaps, the, the idea that we have a, quote, agreed upon mass delusion to help us keep going, that we might turn to the preppers for help. Well, we came out here because my son needs help. Uh, he's vomiting. He's, he lost his teeth. They just fell out. Can't explain it. Huh. His teeth, huh? Well, it's got to have something to do with that noise. You know something about the noise? Well, it's not all that dissimilar to what happened in Cuba. A while back, microwave weapons, they call it, produces a kind of radiation that can be beamed out through sound. Some people lost their teeth there, too. Outside of that, the only thing I know for sure is there's not a lot of information getting out, so... This movie is everything, everywhere, all at once. And, and one degree of Kevin Bacon to boot. It's got, and it's got the imprimatur. Is it, of, is it one uh, degree or zero Kevin, degree? I'm trying to figure out, like, if Kevin Bacon's in something. Zero degrees, I guess. Zero degree, man. And Michelle and Barack Obama uh, are uh, executive producers as part of their Netflix deal. I don't, and the, above all, the sense that we've all been deserted. We've, we're all floating in the sea of misinformation and, and, and ignorance. Um, I, I don't know that I have ever seen a, a genre movie speak as directly to me and to my country as Leave the World Behind. And yet, at the same time, objectively, it is a very, very bad movie. It is <laughs> ham-handed. It is on the nose. The acting, apart from uh, Mahershala Ali, is absolutely terrible, although everybody is acting their hearts out. All that tilty camera and crazy camera motions drawing attention to themselves the the incredibly um uh, uh variable special effects i would say they're 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 awful special effects i mean this movie is laughable on virtually every well, let me stop uh, you there technical level i i think it is occasionally intended to be laughable or at least intended to be comic it is one of those movies and there and tv shows there's a lot of them maybe more than ever every year where you're not entirely sure. I mean, you know, it's kind of like May December. Although I think May December is ultimately emphatically a comedy. But um, I, I think, would agree with that. Yeah, I think this is kind of funny at times. I like the Tesla thing is funny, right? The Tesla thing is brilliant. That is the one brilliant uh, sustained set piece. The, for for listeners, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but um, they come under threat. This family. Uh, comes under threat by uh, cars, by lookalike cars that no one is in, that seem to have no other purpose in this world except to run into one another at very, very high speeds. I mean, I think one of the things that the movie, I, I don't think it's that bad a movie. Uh, I think, when we won't do any spoilers here, I, I do think one problem that people have over and over again with the movie, and, and I had it too, and then I sat with it for a while, is that we're kind of accustomed to these these end-of-the-world scenarios, you know. Uh, it starts with an earthquake, birds and snakes, or a screaming comes across the sky. And then we know what happens, which which is that average people find inner resources that are un, undreamt of, and they get their acts together, and they do battle against the invading forces or, or something like that. And this isn't that movie. And the way that it ends, I think the way that it ends, and we can't say how it ends, David, but I think the way that it ends kind of 
also is an argument for it being a comedy. It certainly ends with somebody else's comedy. Uh, and um, I don't think it, I don't think it's a comedy at all, except unintentionally. I think the end is supposed to be this sort of bitterly ironic touch. Let me just say that part of what this movie is saying, and again, I find it irrefutable, is that we we cling to escapism. We we cling through our popular entertainment to to a world that that isn't and probably never was, and we 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 seek out these mass delusions even under under the the most perilous kind of threats. Uh, in order to to keep from thinking about the truth, I, I you know that's a that's a wonderfully grim, ironic ending. But I don't think that it means that the rest of the film is a comedy. I think that's you know a very s- deeply serious point that the film is making. It just happens to be making it in an incredibly heavy-handed, obnoxious way. We we should have, uh, say that the movie is directed by Sam Esmail, probably best known as the uh, auteur and showrunner behind Mr. Robot. Um, and and I would. Uh, also- that's another one that was completely on the nose. I I really enjoyed the first two or three episodes of that, and then I just realized it was going to be the same thing uh, with various levels of incredulity. Uh, uh, But uh, uh, again, this movie is sort of the same joke over and over and over. Yeah, But it is, it's not a bad joke. No, it's not a bad joke. joke. I also give credit, I mentioned this to you when we were emailing, uh, I give some credit to Julia Roberts and Esmail's handling of her. She's not America's sweetheart of this movie. She's really kind of a bitch. Uh, and, And she doesn't... Yeah, too much so. She's horrific. I mean, she's like she's so unbearable. These people are so stupid. But I think that's and I know so yeah, I, so I, I think putting it out there is, um, uh, you know, and, and being sort of not what everybody expects. I, I think she, I'm glad she goes all the way to the wall with this. Hey, let me do a segue. Yeah, but here. she's letting you know yeah. she's going all the way to the yeah. wall. So, it's sort of like, hey, look at me. You know, I was once America's sweetheart. I'm not going to be America's sweetheart anymore. You know, give me give me an award. Um, <laughs> You're so I don't mean. Know. You're so mean. So let me do a segue here. I think I, I have a neat segue. I think you could look at this movie as another kind of storm warning or something or, or change in the winds. And that is, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how superhero movies are kind of over. They're not really part of the conversation anymore. Nobody cared about the ones that were released in 2023. But I think there's also, you know, movies like this, that which are about, this is not The Walking Dead, you know? This is about a bunch of human beings. And it's kind of a bottle episode movie. It doesn't really go too many places. It goes to like three different houses. Um, and And there's just human beings trying to work out their human stuff. And and I do think that we've moved a little bit more in favor of that kind of thing. This this is what we expect to be, you know, to end with Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith flying into some mother ship or something. But it's yeah, nothing we're like that. Waiting for the superheroes throughout this entire movie, they don't come. Emphatically, they don't come. Yeah, and and I I think you know as we sort of look around at what happened this year. I think a lot of the conversations we wind up having are maybe about sort of smaller movies with people kind of trying to, you know, work out their differences or, you know, I mean, there's a, you know, the movie You Hurt My Feelings <laughs> is on a lot of top 10 lists. And it's just about. I, I'm really glad. Uh, look, I, let me let me say I'm really glad mm. that Leave the World Behind is here. Mm. I'm glad that it has got us. Uh, talking about about some of these things as bad as it is 
uh, I will take a popular culture like this because a lot of times, uh, I mean, uh, what, whatever you think about Killers of the Flower Moon, in my rarefied circles, you know, very few people were talking about the the historical truth of the movie of, you know, sort of ruthless white capitalists conspiring to murder Native Americans for their land. Oh, I was uh, sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. Huh. Let's see. See what about him? See who's doing it. Hmm. But I'm here to speak with Molly Burkhardt, whose who's sisters and mother is dead. Yeah. Molly? Yeah, no, she's, she's my... My wife. <laughs> they were talking about what this is to Martin Scorsese's Irv, and whether Leo is miscast, and Lily Gladstone will get an Oscar, and and what did it do at the box office, and does it have to be three hours and forty minutes long, and aren't movies too long these days? I mean, at least we are talking about the content. I mean, of of Leave the World Behind. Although I should say that in certain conspiracy circles, the fact that you know it does have Michelle and Barack Obama's name on it. I mean, there are all sorts of wild theories about the fact that this movie is warning us that uh, all hell is going to break loose in 2024, <laughs> as if as if we need any more warnings. I mean, there are all kinds of theories. People think this is a right wing movie. People think it's a left wing movie. Uh, people think it doesn't know what it wants to be uh great we're talking about it good yes um all hell is about to break loose and iron man is dead you know we're not we will not get any help uh from superheroes exactly and i'm glad listen i'm glad about the superhero movies there there was one very successful superhero the um uh, the guardians of the galaxy part three mm -hmm. which was a a real uh, an absolutely beautifully done uh epic film i mean there there are so many gorgeous special effects and moments in that movie i hated the script it has one of those scripts where every other line is you know there's some arch put down one liner just a, a feeble you know from hunger script but actually a, a very very visually beautiful and and kinetic and compelling film on its own terms and a and a, a sad but also a, a feel-good movie. And, you know, it was the one superhero movie that I think that, that, that actually did well this year and deserved to do well. Where are you going? Orgo Corp have to have records, right? Maybe they'll have a way for us to override the kill switch and save Rocket. They won't just give us that information. Well, that's why we're going to break in. And kill anyone who gets in our way. Not kill anyone. Kill a few people. Kill no people. Kill one guy, one stupid guy who no one loves. Now you're just making it sad. While the others have been, they're just people have realized there, there's no need to see these movies. Yeah. And the <laughs> great thing for, for me, the great thing for me is that, you know, it gives the lie to this whole, you know, the 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 primary e ruling ethos in Hollywood for the last twenty years, which is that, you know, it's better to spend. $250 million in the hopes of making a uh, billion dollars than it is to spend uh, $8 million in the hopes of making $20 million. Yeah, I think you're going to you see know, a, better, lot more, better to, yeah, a lot more. Not make any little movies. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the conversations we could have uh, about 2023 is about A24, and A24 kind of does that, right? They spend $8 million to make, you know, uh, whatever they make out of it, and they want to work with interesting people, and they have. Isn't it cool that you've got you've got a twenty four, you've got neon, you've got a few others that people are actually like normal people are actually talking about uh, the company 
that is releasing them as if the, as if this company they're now caretakers of of the uh, aesthetic conversation. Yeah, I think they better um, be. I, they better be. I mean, who, who... they better be. They have to be because Hollywood has has given has given that up, and I I think that's great. I mean, it's the one. On the other hand, I'm I'm really tired of you know. Uh, people caring more about the grosses of a film, you know, from week to week than what the film is actually trying to accomplish or talking about it in the context of award season. And, you know, I'm so sick of what will win the Oscar this year. I don't care what wins the Oscar this year. Let's see a good movie that 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 throws things in our faces that we don't want to deal with and 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 force us to talk about them. Right. But I'm glad you brought up Guardians. It allows me to say that actually Bradley Cooper gave two great performances this year. Um, he, is the voice, <laughs> he is the voice of Rocket Raccoon. And I would also say the other movie that fits almost exactly all the adjectives that you uh, applied to, to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 would be Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I, oh, they, yes, of course. They've well, got to work those on those titles. The Spider-Man titles are really hard because they're always Far From Home or No Way Home or Across the Spider-Verse, Outside the Spider-Verse. And, you know, I mean, just make the titles different so we know which movie we're talking about. What about Turn 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 Off the Dark, whatever the hell that meant? I, I remember no, that one. Nobody knew what that meant. Just a lot of people got nobody hurt. Nobody knew what that meant. A lot of people uh, got hurt. There's a memorial service for all the actors are in, in there. Those are in a different category. They are, they are um, uh, we don't have to worry about CGI because they're completely animated. I, I mean, we, we don't have to worry about what's real and what isn't because it's all unreal and it's all you know, delirious and smart and and breathtakingly adventurous. Wait, 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 hold on. The Mona Lisa. There's an elite society with all the best spider people in it? Okay, so there's this lady, Jess Drew. Uh-huh. She rides motorcycle. motorcycle. Oh my gosh, I'm learning so much from her. Oh yeah, I, I've learned a lot of stuff too. I've leveled up my whole thing. Said, see? Oh yeah? Let's see Let's go. Thread the needle. And I didn't quite like this as much as the last animated Spider-Man movie. And I'm also dismayed that it has to be part one. Enough of these part ones. <laughs> I mean, the, the the most bloated Mission Impossible movie that they've yet made. And some of them have been very good. $350 million for, for, for part one. And most of it is just, you know, for you to admire... Uh, uh, you know, little Tommy Cruise jumping off a mountain on his motorcycle with a with a parachute. The movie just stops dead to kind of show off its budget and show off the uh, the bravery and virility of its of its sixty year old leading man. Yeah, I know. I don't like the part one stuff. I think it started with Dune, right? Dune's part one. The Dune, the exposition was the entire movie. You know, it's like, oh, wait for three years and then we'll show you the movie that this leads up to. Uh, well, and- Harry Potter, the last the last Harry Potter. Oh yeah, based- that's right. Yeah. Two, even though there wasn't enough incident, even even for one. And uh, the idea is that, you know, can can the studio grind one billion more out of this material if they could have split it, split the the last one into two and then the one after that into two. And then, the one you know, you, you go towards an, an infinity, you know, splitting it. You know, if they could have gotten uh, a final episode of, of part four that was uh, of, of Harry Potter that was that was, you know, uh, just had the last page of the uh, mm-hmm. of the book. Um, they would have done that. Um, you know, we've kind of alluded to this already a little bit, but uh, and we talked about it in emailing. But uh, I do think, you know, yes, A24 and Neon, they deserve some credit. And I do feel as though this is was Netflix's year. They were halfway in the tank. In one, they had that really bad quarter in 2022. Was this, is, are they even going to make it? 
Uh, they wound up greenlining Maestro for $90 million bucks with no other studio. Some studios would even take a meeting with Bradley Cooper, and anybody who did said no. Uh, also, they did May, December. They did The Killer with Fincher. Uh, they did the Rustin uh, biopic, the Nyad bi- biopic, we'll Leave the World Behind, we already discussed. The Crown, I know you didn't watch that. Beef. These are all kind of movies that are in, in five of the six nominated uh, comedy stand-up specials in the new category of the Golden Globes are Netflix movies. Only the Sarah Silverman movie on HBO is outside of Netflix. And yet people are saying, though, that, you know, Netflix way overspent and they are and and they put themselves in a hole. And I know that they are they are cutting back on the movies they're underwriting now, which is which is tragic for a lot of independent movies. It's been now, should they necessarily be throwing as much money at people like Martin Scorsese as they, as they are, this is a real get rich quick uh, scheme for a lot of, a lot of filmmakers, a lot of so-called serious filmmakers. But um, I agree with you. I agree with you. It's really, really impressive. The stuff that Netflix is doing and, and leave the world behind is Netflix too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm glad somebody made Maestro. I know there are a lot of people who hate that movie, but uh, I think it's a formally, it's a very adventurous movie. Um, It's, it's a, it's a biopic that's, that's truly off the beat. And uh, I don't quite know if it gels. I, I actually think it doesn't gel. But from moment to moment, I think it's as, as brilliant and compelling as, as anything out there right now. And uh, now now you firmly plan in New York City, studying piano. Yeah. But you're actually studying acting. And that is a career which demands the versatility to play a panoply of characters. And that is my conclusion <laughs> <laughs> that you, my dear, are very similar to me. Uh, how? Because you had to take... All the pieces, all the pieces, all the bits of you that are scattered across these varied landscapes and form create the veritable person that stands before me now. And how is that? You just asked me, and I just no, told I know, you. I know, I know, okay. We like uh, Cathedral, best six minutes in a movie this year, I bet. I, I think we'd be hard-pressed to find him well, more. Well, thank, thank you, thank you, Gustav Mahler, um, <laughs> for, uh, for, for your second symphony and, and, frankly, for all your others except the eighth. So, uh, but we um, get into that. That's for your Mahler show. Yeah, so Pants is, yeah, and one for Mahler. Uh, so uh, Pants <laughs> is uh, telling me that we've got about three or four minutes left. I'll just, I'll do dealer's choice here. You you, you talk about whatever you want to talk about here in our, our waning minutes together. Well, I, I mean, I think that, you know, the big event, Barbenheimer was a wonderful event this year. It was a marketing event and it was an inadvertent marketing event. You had two very worthy films, although I, I hated Oppenheimer. It's uh, it's it's a worthy film. Now I'm looking for a project director. And my name came up. Nope. Even though you brought quantum physics to America, which made me curious. What have you found out? You're a dilettante, a womanizer, a suspected communist. I'm a New Deal Democrat. I said suspected. Unstable, theatrical, egotistical, neurotic. Nothing good, no. Not even he's brilliant, but... Well, brilliance is taken for granted in your circle, so no. Barbie was a pretty good have-it-both-ways satire. The point is it got us back to the theaters. It made... It put these movies in the present tense again in a way that... And it gave me hope for exhibition, brief hope, because I still think that that the future of a theatrical exhibition is going to be some kind of subscription model, maybe run by A24 and maybe uh, centering on a few small theaters as opposed to the multiplexes, which is, I mean, 
I don't know if the multiplex is a sustainable model any more than the superhero, $200 million superhero movies are a sustainable economic. As our culture becomes more and more private, as we are watching, streaming more and more movies at home, what is going to bring us out to the theater? Well, I'm very happy Barbenheimer did and gave us something to talk about, even if it was just what what it grossed that week. Um, I also want to say that the other thing that gives me hope and and I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but I, I've really am an avid listener of your show, and I've really enjoyed the bizarre, eclectic, uh, urgent uh, uh, shows that you that you that you've had over the course of the year. I never know what I'm going to hear when I tune in. I, I uh, it's the the talk is always very intelligent, myself uh, accepted, uh, whenever I happen to appear. But I but I'm uh, I'm really really. Very happy that uh, that Connecticut Public Radio has has given you a shot to do whatever the hell you want and and you know <laughs> do it so sparklingly. Does it does that really come through? <laughs> I, I think they're just too, refereeing me is too much work, so they let me do whatever I want. I want to go. <laughs> I want to go back qu- quickly to to Barbenheimer because I think Maestrolian, you know, it just didn't work out the same way. I think Maestro and Napoleon came out roughly the same day. Uh, Maestrolian <laughs> people didn't go out to it, but I, I this is not an original idea with me. But I think one of the things that that Barbenheimer did was to make you feel like you could be a part of something, you know, that other people were a part of, and that's a very tempting thing to do. You know, I, I think people really like that. They don't want to be left out of something that everybody else is talking about. I don't, it's a hard bit of lightning to cram back into a bottle. You know, how do no, you- No, you can't, yeah. you, you, you can't bottle it. You can't bottle it. And, and it, it's so, you know, there, there are all sorts of cynical reasons. Barbie, you know, was, had a lot of what they say is want to see, quote unquote, because of merchandising and because of promotion and because we've all grown up with Barbie and have various feelings about what Barbie represents as a product. I thought I might stay over tonight. Why? Because we're girlfriend, boyfriend. To do what? I'm actually not sure. Oh, but I don't want you here. Mm-hmm. Is it Ken? Ken's just a really good friend. And this is my dream house. It's Barbie's dream house. It's not Ken's dream house, right? <laughs> right, as always. And it's girls' night. Come on, Barbie! Summer party! <laughs> Hurry up, the president's here. I am, you're welcome. <laughs> Every night is girls' night. Mm-hmm. Every night. Forever. And it was it was sweet generis. You can't you can't duplicate this. And then to 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 stick Oppenheimer on the sort of the tail of that and to use Christopher Nolan's imprimatur his his prestige uh, that he has in art houses it was it was a um uh it, it was unique it will never happen again it will never happen again you said napoleon and uh what Maestro, was the other film? Ma- maestrolian maestrolian Maestro Maestro. and napoleon those are two highbrow highbrow films um if it was if it had been you know uh, Napoleon and G.I. Joe, or no, actually one of them should be, should be G.I. Jane, Napoleon uh, and G.I. Jane. How about or, Napoleon is afraid? <laughs> oh, please. Yeah. Talk about this. I just want to tell you to cast the most mumbly internal actor as a military leader is, is kind of some kind of folly that I don't know that we've seen the likes of in quite a long time. 
All right, we have to go or I'll get in a lot of trouble. David Edelstein is America's greatest living film critic and my very old and dear friend. And uh, thank you for saying nice things about the show on behalf of my producers who do all the work. I'm just Ted Baxter. You know, I just show up and, you know. Anyway, I'm Ted Baxter with bad hair. David Edelstein. Ted Baxter does not make as many jokes at his own own expense, but maybe you're the 21st century Ted Baxter. Schizoid man. All right. We have to take a little break. We're going to come back with other members of the know. So hang on here. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. We continue with the end of the year knows. Uh, it's the end of the year as we know it. Rebecca Castellani is the co-founder of Quiet Corner Communications, the director of marketing uh, at uh, Washington Montessori, and the inventor of the Castellani rule, which is, uh, did this need to be made? That's the rule, right? Did this need it to is. be made? Okay. It is, yes. Okay. Uh, Rich Holland is a principal at CoLab, a founder of Free Center and commissioner on cultural affairs for the city of Hartford. Bill Usman is professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. Uh, so we're going to begin, uh, Bill, I think with maybe a a theme that you brought up as you guys were uh, emailing among yourselves, and that is the idea of culture in dark times, pop culture in dark times. So I don't know, push push our rowboat off the shore and into the water uh, on that one, Bill Usman. Well, it is murky waters, right? I mean, if we think about everything that's happening in the world, uh 2023 was a very dark and disturbing world but you know historically i wonder if we get caught up in the moment and if we could have said that about most years but at least certainly lately but but it did but but there was a lot you know sort of in our face about the the horrible things that are happening all over the globe in 2023. So speaking just for myself, at the same time, there was a tremendous amount of culture that gave me a lot of pleasure, movies, television, books, music. And I feel uh, some cognitive dissonance about that. I, I have to admit, on the one hand, I really do believe that we need culture to get us through. You actually wrote a column about that recently, uh, Colin. I think, you know, overlapping, touching on some of those same thoughts. And yet there's that sort of nagging feeling in me. You know, I'm 
I'm laying here watching John Mulaney compared to things that are happening to, to people all around the world. And, and so there's always sort of like this little nagging hint in there, at least for me, I'm really only talking about like this own sort of quandary that I found myself in this year in particular. Yeah. I think you should let yourself off the hook about that. And Rebecca, I also feel as though culture, I, I think the solution to dark times isn't necessarily the embrace solely of very serious culture. I think we need to be fed and sustained. Uh, I think if you look at the history of dark times, you see people turning to beautiful music in the worst of circumstances uh, and, and other versions of uplifting culture. So I don't, I don't, Rebecca, I don't know if you have a take on this, but it seems like Bill is uh, overpunishing himself. I would agree. Bill, don't punish yourself. Um, and I'll honestly, <laughs> until Bill said it, this wasn't really something I was aware that I was doing. And then when Bill brought this up and I started sort of reflecting on what I'd consumed this year in culture, I realized it was also more on the lighter side than I typically gravitate towards. I'm usually one of those people that can't get enough of serial killer documentaries and the darkest dark A24 movies that come out. But reflecting on what I actually consumed this year, it was a lot of comedies, slapstick, silly comedies. And I'm not a huge comedy person. And not only did I find myself checking out some of the newer comedies this year, like No Hard Feelings, Joyride, etc., I also found myself revisiting older comedies that you know had some sort of nostalgic ha-has for me, like Neighbors or Super Bad, or some of these just like really silly, almost atemporal. They're genre comedies for sure, but they're not like yoked to massive historical moments. So this was not something I was very conscious of doing, but I clearly did it. I found my music tastes. I finally stopped listening to only the Succession soundtrack and I started listening to Kylie Minogue. <laughs> so I think that there's some part of me, a part that I didn't recognize until Bill pulled it out of me, that really was sort of choosing lighter content this year than I have historically done. And I can only imagine that is because of just the overwhelming darkness that surrounds us everywhere we go when we turn on the news. And I also have really stopped watching the news for that reason. I will kind of read stuff on Reddit, but I just can't sit in front of the television and take the deluge of awful stuff that keeps happening. So I, I do think that's really interesting. And I would imagine that others in the world probably have had a similar reaction to this just you're, you know, you're, you're, you're mentioning of Superbad. I, I couldn't tell from the emails whether you've actually seen Saltburn or not. But I just watched it last yeah. night. <laughs> so and so Saltburn, we should say, is uh, directed by Emerald Fennell, who uh, is the person who did Promising Young Woman. She's kind of an exciting new director. She's also an actor. But you know, the part of the premise is this guy who comes from no money and drug addicted parents uh, winds up being invited to the sort of bigger and better than Downton Abbey. <laughs> home of one of his schoolmates, <laughs> except his family, who are royalty, you know, they're, they're nobility, you know, they're, I think they're a lord and a lady, they're insanely rich, but they're kind of trash, you know, and they, they yeah. sit around smoking cigarettes and watching Super, they watch Superbad at one point. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, the whole thing about this, I, I mean... I, you know, I, I actually found this movie to be extremely funny. Um, I did too. Um, but just that idea that they, you know, they just have, they're just totally unmoored people. And, well, we'll have to have a long conversation about Saltburn at some point. But, yes, um, you know, I get what you're saying. And, and <laughs> unfortunately, maybe in sort of leave the world behind times, we wind up down in <laughs> our bunker watching Superbad. And that's going to be a bad way to go out. So, Rich, I know you've been thinking a lot about this, too. I'd love to hear what you're thinking about right this very second. 
So um, what I'm thinking about right now is, is Bill actually being too hard on himself? I mean, this, the, I the, the Boston Celtics stuff, he should be harder on himself about, but but everything else. I'm actually, well, yeah, I'm actually sure. really loving how this has turned into my therapy <laughs> yes, session. Exactly. I'm appreciating that very much. It's, 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 it's like an intervention. It's sort of a ba- Baby J type intervention, actually. This is anyway. going to launch me into 2024. <laughs> Thank you all. All right. Anyway, Rich, continue. I spent a lot of this, this year dealing with 50 years of hip hop, right? Just uh, listening to to music back when I thought that things weren't as dark. I mean, things were probably plenty dark. I just, you know, was more oblivious to it, right? If I listen to the music that I've been playing, I'm going to say that, yeah, it was plenty dark, right? And there's this idea, though, that when darkness is trending as it is, the band played on. And mm-hmm. that, that to me is the critical thing that I've been looking at, right? What does it mean for the band to play on? And what level of anesthesia are we taking to balance out that darkness? Is it 50 years of hip hop where we've gotten up distance from uh, what was going on in the streets then that we could take it back in and almost be, you know, nostalgic about it? Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of comedy and I've been listening to comics that are staying away from some of the heavier hitting social issues going on. I've been also paying a lot of attention to news and what are my sources and how am I getting in, getting it in, and uh, am I taking in news that's riling me up more than it needs to, or I'm taking in news that's giving me a, a more balanced take in the first place, you know, that I don't need to be anesthetized away from what's going on right now. So I, I think what's happening is I'm just, I'm working on being mindful because that uh, when you, when you mentioned that bill about this idea of you know what happens when darkness trends i step more and more into my my own sense of responsibility right what is it that i'm responsible for in what i take in what am i responsible for therefore and how it influences what i put out and that's uh, that's my challenge right yeah, I would think so. This might be a good place to, to sort of uh, grab a, a really quick break here. We're visiting with Rich Holland, uh, Rebecca Castellani, and Bill Usman. Let's uh, grab that break, and we will bounce right back after this. Breaks on the stage, breaks on the screen, breaks to make your wallet lead. Breaks run cold and breaks run hot. Some folks try to miss up, have not, but these are the breaks. Break it up, break it up, break it up. Time to thank a few people. That would be technical producer Kat Pastor and producer of this episode and pretty much all news episodes, Jonathan McPants. Thanks to you folks for listening as well. Here on the third and final segment, we still have Rebecca Castellani, uh, now director of marketing at Washington Montessori, uh, Rich Holland, a principal at CoLab, a commissioner on cultural affairs for the city of Hartford, Bill Usman, professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. So, with just a little bit of time before the show started, I just flung a question at you guys. Um, what was uh, overappreciated? What was what or who was overappreciated? What or who was uh, underappreciated? So, Bill Usman, uh, what did you come up with when you emerged from your darkness? Uh, what struck you in one of those two ways, or both? Either of both of those two ways? I'm a, I'm real. I'm afraid to say who I find overappreciated because of you know the the venom that will come my way. So you're, I'm going to skip that. You're with, you're with friends. Um, you're with friends. You won't get hurt. Uh, yeah, I'm not so sure. <laughs> um, but um, 
you know, I'm with my therapist, yeah. so I should be okay. Yeah. Um, but I came up with a number of things that I thought were underappreciated. One of them was uh, the most recent uh, season of Black Mirror, which was on this, the summer of 2023. And yet, like, it had fallen completely off of my radar when I was going back to sort of think about what was some of my favorite culture uh, that has been around recently. But Black Mirror is, um, at at first, it, I think it got a lot of claim, but I'm wondering if other people have forgotten about it as well. I was also really shocked to see that Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse didn't appear on any of the critics that I read end of the year, best of films, because, you know, of course it got a lot of acclaim. It was the sixth highest grossing film of the world, you know, in the world last year, but why didn't critics think it was worthy to sort of break into that top tier? Um, and then I've talked about this several times, the show reservation dogs, a critical darling, but did it get much attention? Not really that I'm aware of. And so those were just a few things in that I thought of in terms of, you know, what might have been maybe a little bit more appreciated either with popular viewing or with critical acclaim. You know, with Black Mirror and, and the rest of the panel may even want to chime in on this. I, I think we talked in the first segment with Edelstein about, you know, kind of the fact that superhero movies suddenly don't matter. And I would say an awful lot of fantasy doesn't matter, too. I mean, the 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 follow ups to Lord of the Rings uh, and and Game of Thrones mm. were cared about way 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 less than their predecessors. It's hard to think of a real sort of out there out and out sci fi thing or fantasy thing that really is a big part of the end of the year conversation. But I do think this tech stuff, you know, um, the the tech stuff, it, it, whether it's Black Mirror or you know, you go back to Mr. Robot, we, which we referenced because of Sam Ismail and Leave the World Behind. And Rebecca, I do feel that whole idea and. John Hamm very implausibly <laughs> played essentially Elon Musk uh, in uh, um, uh, in the morning show this year. That mm. that idea of the tech nerds, and I was mentioning to you guys also kind of the ascendancy also of these weird nerdy uh, white guy auteurs, Nathan Fielder in particular, but also Tim Robinson, also John Wilson, who's auteured by uh, Nathan Fielder. That seems to me to be kind of a place where we're we're kind of maybe dealing with some of our anxieties. We know now that Thor is not coming to save us. Uh, but <laughs> but what's happening instead, you know, is I think a question people might be turning over with some of this culture stuff. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think we've seen a lot of culture dealing with sort of these Nathan Fielder-esque characters along with your, you know, socially inept but very technologically sound billionaires run a a fry. I mean, there was the, I didn't see this, but that movie about Uber, super pumped that mm -hmm. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I feel like that, I think maybe that was last year, but we do seem to be kind of focusing on these like Zuckerberg-esque characters and leaning into the cringe. And I think that, you know, mm -hmm. one of my high points for this year has definitely been watching The Curse, which is a very, very hard show to watch. It is just peak yeah. cringe. Nathan Fielder makes you want to crawl out of your skin. So does Emma Stone. It is just dealing with every cringy topic a person could look at. Race, gentrification. Uh, I, I don't think I can say the sex. word I want to say. Yeah, sex is the better word than what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> undersized sex organs, perhaps, is what I'm trying to say here. Just well, like now you've revealed. <laughs> to, taboos upon taboos and 
I think that when this might also kind of be in the whole vein of like when the world is so dark, like instead of confronting existential darkness, let's lean into our social interpersonal darkness as a foil. Like let's look at how uncomfortable people can be with each other, how bad we can be at interacting with each other. And as opposed to sort of relegating that to the McLovin character that's kind of on the side and it's just there for laughs. It's like this, I want the McLovin biopic now. Like I'm ready for that. I maybe wasn't in 2004, but I am now. And I think Nathan Fielder has definitely done a lot to sort of, push us in that direction with his various, you know, increasingly awkward outputs. For I, sure. I, I would not have guessed we were going to talk so much about Superbad. But yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the McLovin origin <laughs> film, I think, is uh, it's out there. So a lot of people on Facebook were encouraging me to write the screenplay to FUD, uh, the Elmer FUD. It would be like a live <laughs> action Elmer FUD origin film. Give where, the people what they want, Colin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he's lying in bed going, whoa, Bud. Woes, bud. So, Rich, I don't know. Do you want to comment on tech and nerds, or do you want to just go straight to one of your one of your overappreciated, underappreciated? I'm going to go overappreciated, underappreciated, and it will dovetail, I'm sure, into tech and nerds. Okay, um, beautiful. Because I for the past four years, I've been at least on this show, I've been calling it the Year of the Women, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, I'm saying it again, and main, continues to be underappreciated. And the the writing quite isn't there yet. And the male gaze is still, you know, so dominant. So let's keep that uh, high on the underappreciated list just so that we could reckon with it at some point. Um, uh, specifically, though, uh, I, I think that Taylor Swift is like very overappreciated right now. Um, My hero. And and it's a challenge, right? You know, that when you get to that level of just like being appreciated, uh, you know, there might be a point where the cup spilleth over. And I think that that's where we are with with Taylor Swift right now. Uh, Oversaturation, maybe more so than overappreciated. I'm going to go with Kevin Hart, though, uh, for my uh, overappreciated guy. uh, again, same thing, a lot of coverage. Uh, and uh, that uh, movie uh, with him and uh, Chris Rock, Headliners Only, just didn't ring home for me. It felt like an infomercial. And I think that I was mentioning <laughs> earlier, it felt like an infomercial for Love's Baby Soft and Snuggie all, t- all rolled in together. Uh, it's just this you know massive cross-promotion. Um, and, uh, I think for generally incredibly funny guys, um, they let the market take over for a bit there. Hmm. Um, we should say that when Rebecca said my hero, when you said my hero, Rebecca, you were referring to Rich as opposed to referring to Taylor Swift. Yes. Uh, because the last episode of the show I appeared on, I just was the hater, the Swifty hater in residence. And I still have people threatening to break down my doors and drag me out into the streets to be hung, drawn, and quartered. So thank you for that, Rich. We're in good company. I think we I'll did, take we, that one because those aren't my people. Yeah. We worried about um, that at the time. Yeah. Did you have one more of those you wanted to do, Rich? No, no, I could but for my uh for my underappreciated, my to me, despite all of the awards that this dude has been winning lately, um, I'm gonna go with John Baptiste. Mm. Um, he is that he is not like this major household name. Uh, for creative genius, um, uh, just blows my mind. And uh, that movie, uh, American Symphony, mm-hmm. just touched me profoundly. Now, it might be 
you know, that yep. it, it's it's about a creative black dude whose um whose wife is diagnosed with um you know with a pretty serious cancer. And uh and that topic uh for me personally rang, you know, hit a chord. Um but when we get on the other end of that, to take a look at that which could be an incredibly dark story, and to take a look at the um the the light and joy and what art and creativity brought to that dark story um authentically was just heartwarming inspiring you know and made me get up and want to do another day and dare to look at the hard stuff i to- um, so- i totally get what you're saying about all of that and i t- particularly agree that there's he should be like more in the conversation even than he is. I, I, I'm completely, and, and other people have said that to me here in, in the month of December as well. And I think you're, 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 you're right on track there. Um, Rebecca, I, I didn't want to miss, I know you perhaps have an underappreciated and or overappreciated. Well, my over has been discussed. It's Taylor Swift forever and always. Um, <laughs> and yes, that was a Taylor Swift song reference because I can't escape her despite my best desires to. Um, I'm over it. I'm over Travis Kelsey. I don't want to hear anything about this in 2024. <laughs> Please leave me alone. Um, I would also, if I'm going to just, you know, be dragged in the comments, I will go ahead and say, I also think Christopher Nolan is uh, getting on my overappreciated list. I struggled to get through all three and a half hours of Oppenheimer I think that, you know, he could really use a, a more critical editing eye sometimes. So, you know, you can cancel me. That's fine. I'm not afraid of extra therapy over the holidays. And for underrated, I think I'm going to circle back again to this sort of weird desire I've had to lean more into watching comedies and specifically some of the female-led comedies that came out this year that were really raunchy. I'm talking No Hard Feelings and Joyride in particular. It's been really refreshing to see women get to kind of do that apatow-esque gross body horror and not just be the you know knocked up nagging shrew on the side that's a buzzkill like to have women really be kind of the uh instigators of chaos and really dirty jokes and dirty things has been really sort of cathartic to see on screen and i hope that 2024 brings more of those comedies and they get a little more refined because i didn't I wasn't like completely in love with every beat of every one of those two movies, but I think they're a great example of kind of letting women lean into their nastiest impulses. And instead of it being like the romantic subject or the thoughtful savant, like you're really letting women just be like gross dude bros to gender it again. (laughs) But I I think that's just been really lovely to see. And I hope we get more of that. I'll I'll do a, um, here's, here's my really controversial one. It's not controversial at all. Overrated. Juno Temple in Lasso. Underrated Juno Temple in Fargo, um, <laughs> uh, where she's just terrific. And Bill, I can't remember. Did you see Daisy Jones and the Six? Did anybody here see Daisy Jones? Oh, I did. I, did. I, I, I suffered through I, it. Yeah, I think it's. Oh, I, I liked it. See, I think it's overrated. Nah. I, I, think, <laughs> I think it's overrated. Um, I, I think that they are not persuasive as sort of people who are, you know. Well, I just don't care about them, and I don't care about the. <laughs> didn't like the. I music say, why didn't they just admit that it was Fleetwood Mac? Okay, that was annoying. Call it Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, I thought that the show itself was overrated, but the music was underrated. I really liked some of the tunes that they came up with. Marcus Mumford had a lot to do with it. I thought that the soundtrack was pretty great. Mm. Watered down Fleetwood Mac. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Just give us the Fleetwood Mac biopic; it'd be way messier. Well, we we have to stop here. Uh, fascinating though this is. Uh, the time went fast, uh, and it's great to hear the voices of our our beloved nose panel. 
panelists here. So thanks very much to Rebecca Castellani, Rich Holland, Bill Usman. Uh, we have to go. Thanks to Kat. Thanks to McPants. And we will be back next week with a whole bunch of other new stuff. Farmington. Yeah, 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 yeah.